안녕하세요. 안녕하세요. I have been a college professor for 38 years, and these days I teach an 800-student class on culture and society to students from across the planet. If you watched my videos, then you know that I like to listen to my students tell me their stories and tell me about their cultures. And as part of my work, I've also traveled and lived in many dozens of countries around the world. And just like my teaching style, I travel because I like to listen to people so that I can understand the sociology of their everyday lives. The first country I fell in love with was Spain when I lived there as a 21-year-old student. But the first country that I was fascinated by, and I mean really intrigued by, was Korea. As a second-year graduate student when I was 24 years old, another student and his wife, both from Korea, invited me to dinner. I loved the food, but I was struck by how they talked about their culture. And this stayed with me when the following year I started my PhD studies and met three other Korean graduate students. They motivated me to read about Korean social life and history when I had the time. But I didn't have much time because my focus was Latin America and those countries consumed 95% of my intellectual energy in my travels. Then after I received my PhD, my study and travel schedule took me to the Middle East, to South Asia, to Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and of course, South America, but never to Korea. But I never forgot about Korea. And when I had the time, I continued to read everything I could about your country, always thinking that one day, one day I would visit. And then about four years ago, after a lifetime of studying and talking about people and cultures from around the world, I woke up one morning to a radio story about BTS. And I don't know why, I don't know why this was the day and this was the story, because I had heard and read many stories, but I said to myself, that's it. I'm following this 33-year desire to know and understand Korea. I want to see how it compares to all of the other countries and cultures that I've come to know. And so I walked into my 800-student class and I asked, what do you know about BTS? And how often do you think about Korea? And I've been talking about your country ever since that day, but never really to Koreans. So a couple of months ago, I was speaking to my students about climate collapse, and one of them asked me which country I thought was most prepared to make the necessary change that needs to happen so that we can avoid the worst crisis. It's a great question for a professor who compares social systems in countries across the planet. But in the moment, I said I wasn't sure. And then a couple of weeks later, I was preparing a talk on Korea, and it suddenly became clear to me that the answer to that student's question was actually Korea. It is your country that is best positioned to show the world how to move forward. And having a country take the lead and be the model is important, because human beings always need models to follow whether they're individual role models or organizations or companies that can lead us in one direction or another, or maybe sports teams, people need groupings of other people who are united around some identity, some focus. And then what we do 
is we adapt our own behavior to that identity. And from what I can assess, most countries are not socially and culturally structured to be a model for us for how to get through this climate crisis. Certainly not my own. But Korea is different. Korea has some key features of what I think is probably needed to move us toward a solution. I'm sure there are more. But I'm going to discuss four characteristics of your country that together could provide a beacon of possibility, a map for moving forward and doing what will need to be done in these next 20 years if we have any hope of avoiding calamity. So the first thing is that yours is a society with a deeply held sense that community well-being uplifts individuals. All East Asian countries have much stronger inflections toward community than do countries in the West, but so do Arab countries and many African nations and cultures. But focus on community is particularly strong in Korea. And I also know that it is weakening in your culture. But hear me out. In my first major research project when I was in my 20s, I spent two years following Catholic priests around the countryside of Ecuador. And I developed the idea of a communitarian-oriented moral order. This refers to a society in which community-based moral codes lead people to more often act in ways such that their personal decisions about what is right and what is wrong positively impact their community. It's not conscious. It's baked into a culture, actually. And this doesn't mean that community needs shape every individual action. It just means that social life, the sum total of the billions of daily individual decisions, has an overall orientation toward what is good for the whole. And Korean culture has a strong inflection toward a communitarian-oriented moral order, going back many centuries and dynasties. So it applies to our climate crisis because we can only arrive at solutions if large segments of populations pattern their behavior and thinking around the idea that their individual actions benefit the common good even when they don't understand how. Without these communitarian moral codes, individuals simply will not sacrifice for the greater good. And all of us are going to need to sacrifice. Think about it this way, like if I'm going to give something up, then I must know that most people around me are doing the same thing and that they're not taking advantage of my sacrifice by jumping ahead of me. But culture-based social networks are like synapses in the brains. Once they're created and once they tie our nerve cells together, they can be dormant for long periods and suddenly be reactivated. But it's difficult to create new synapses in mature systems. The second factor that leads me to think that Korea can be a model nation for addressing climate collapse is your advanced and efficient approach to education. In fact, I would say that the seriousness with which you put yourselves into education is practically unmatched anywhere in the world. You know this, you know this. And it's been stated many times by people inside of Korea and outside of Korea. Sometimes it's been overstated by people who don't look at some of the troubling aspects of Korean education. But you have a unique and notable way of educating youth. 
In fact, in all my travels, in all my study, I don't have a single example of a nation that has invested so much in education and then organized families to single-mindedly pursue education for their children. And I know that many of these children rebel and they reject what's being told to them and what they're being told to do by people around them. And they are told that regardless of how hard you study, you need to do it more vigorously. <laughs> but a surprisingly high percentage of Korean youth follow the path of hard work. And this doesn't just happen around the world, except in small segments of populations in different nations. And your education system is not only efficient, but it's rooted in positivist principles with a strong foundation in science, technology, engineering, and math. And this is exactly what we need to continue to do to excavate solutions to climate collapse. Once again, I'm not blind to the many problems with how you educate people. Every year, I teach more and more Korean students, and the weakness of many of them is that they often do not know how to ask really good questions and follow their own curiosity, because it seems all they've ever done is memorize what's going to be on the next exam. So too many of them are good at performing and being obedient and are less talented at being fascinated by life itself. Normally, I would actually criticize this as wasted time spent memorizing for exams, along with the inordinate pressure that it puts on students to succeed. But if I'm being honest, really honest, I must admit that what you have managed to do, which is to motivate legions of young people to work extraordinarily hard, sacrifice, and be stressed, is an essential ingredient to the climate solution given the gravity of the issue that humanity is facing. So the third ingredient for addressing climate collapse is for people to be willing to follow rules that benefit the collectivity, even when they don't fully trust the people who are making those rules. And Koreans are very good at this. You may not think so, but I'd suggest that you look at other cultures around the world and you see how the rest of us are doing. For my argument, following rules matters because addressing climate collapse is going to require taking away a great number of individual rights and opportunities. And here's how to think about this. The world's getting, it's getting smaller. Resources are becoming more scarce. And for all of us to sustain social systems that look reasonably familiar, then greater numbers of people are going to have to work together in ways they would not otherwise choose to do. This is related to my first point, but here I'm focusing on how nations will necessarily implement new rules, laws, and mandates that people are not going to like. And here's another case in which I feel compelled to say, I'm not blind to how often people here get around rules and laws in order to advance some personal interest that they have. This is part of human nature, but there's a general social acceptance that manifests itself in the sociology of Korean behavior that is important and that is necessary. And you've been successful at doing this, even as you rank very low compared to other countries in terms of how much trust you have in your government.
The fourth and final reason that I'm hopeful that Korea can be a beacon for other nations is because you already have the cultural clout, the soft power. When the world thinks about Korea, what we increasingly envision is a modern, prosperous, safe, and educated country. We don't think of chaos and crime and people who lack intellect and sophistication. It doesn't matter that the impetus behind many of these positive associations stem from K-culture, K-pop, K-drama, K-film. What matters is how the world perceives Korea. In sociology, there's an adage, if we believe something is real, then it's real in its consequences. So Korea is uniquely positioned to be a vision of possibility for people around the world who want to work together to devise solutions to this crisis, working both within their communities and across nations. And of course, there are other possible countries. Again, not my own, because people don't trust U.S. ambition, nor do they trust the, current, the other current superpower, which would be China. But no other nation has the clout that Korea has at this point in history. And we cannot wait for tomorrow. So you might be thinking, okay, professor, this is all good, but what should we do? What's our first step? So I have ideas, but that's for another talk. Right now, I just want to send this simple message. And I'm going to leave you with a quote from a talk that I delivered in Porto Alegre, Brazil, back in, in 2014. The talk was called The Wisdom of Sociology. Respond and help us. Help us see a path through this mess that we're in. Korea has something to show the rest of the world, and we need to see it, and we need to follow you. Kamsa Hamnida. Thank you.